Well, good morning and uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I love being a dad. I love being a dad. I have three beautiful daughters and I love being their dad. I love being poor all the time. Uh, I, love, <laughs> I love being a dad and it is truly a joy to be their dad. And, uh, and these past few months, they've been really crazy. They've been a little bit different, but I'm so thankful that God has blessed me with the family I have. I got to spend a lot more time with them. And so I, I pray that if you've got a family around, that that's been a joy for you, not a burden to be able to spend time with your, 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 your family. So normally, uh, I like to tell elevator jokes because they work on so many different levels. But since it's Father's Day, <laughs> I thought I'd share some dad jokes just for fun. I actually got most of these from my daughter, Anna. I was like, Anna, I need some, some dad jokes. She pulls out her phone. She's like, okay, I got some. <laughs> and so, so these are mostly from her. She thinks they're funny. And so you can laugh or moan or whatever. But here they are. All right, dad joke number one. How, will, how do you find Will Smith in the snow? You look for fresh prints. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I went to the store to get six cans of Sprite, but when I got home, I realized I picked seven up. <laughs> Why do seals, <laughs> I can already see, <laughs> they're ducking their head. <laughs> Why do seals swim in salt water? Because pepper water makes them sneeze. <laughs> I like this one, ready? Why shouldn't you be friends with Piglet? Because he plays with poo. <laughs> Why can't T-Rexes clap their hands? Because they're dead. <laughs> uh, why can't you hear a pterodactyl when they use the bathroom? Because the P is silent. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't get it. It's, it's a spelling joke. When, when my friend told me to stop impersonating a flamingo, I had to put my foot down. And last one. <laughs> How is diarrhea hereditary? because it runs in the genes. <laughs> All right, thanks, Anna. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, we started this series called All In This Together, and we've been focusing on a very special chapter in the Bible, uh, Isaiah 40. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, open up to Isaiah 40. And if you remember, this, this chapter opens up with comfort and it ends with strength. And we've actually looked at the beginning and the end of this chapter already. But it's also packed full of anticipation of a coming Messiah. It was actually first written for a people who would be taken captive in Babylon. And they would suffer under the hands of their captors. It was written for a time when God's people were really struggling. It was written for them. But it's also written for us. And that's the beauty of Scripture, that it is living and it is active, that it was written both for the present time of when the writer wrote the Scripture, and it was also written for the future, for us. So in week one, we, we kind of acknowledge that we have this collective weariness, don't we? That, that we are tired and we are tired together. And so we were reminded that we are to lean into the truth that we already know about God and about ourselves. And last week, we said that we, are, we need to listen together. Dave Stoffer was here preaching. I was out of town last week. Uh, but we talked about before we speak, before we, before we throw another voice into all of the voices that are shouting into our culture and into our world, we need to stop and we need to listen. And we especially need to listen to the tender voice of God. And his voice reminds us of the gospel message. And his voice brings us peace because we know that our pardon is secured and payment has been made. And how is that possible? 
It's possible because of the person that Isaiah said was coming, the coming Messiah, Jesus. So today, if, if we've made it a consistent and a continual habit to be listening to God, then we are ready then to speak, to speak together. So look down in, in chapter 40, verse 6. It says this, Isaiah writes, A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? So that's the question. What is it that we should cry out? What is it that we should speak? Again, if we've been listening to the comforting and tender voice of God, he reminds us, he reminds his people that in this troubled world, well, first of all, that the gospel is the greatest message of all. Like we need to hear it. We need to believe it. We need to live it. And we need to share it. But is there more? Is there more for us to share? Is, is there more for us to speak? Because there seems to be more here to say. Let's not be careful, or let's be careful that we aren't just saying what we want to say, saying what we think people want to hear. Let's be careful to speak what God wants us to say. And let's be careful also that we're not silent when we should be speaking up. It seems like there are a lot of people, and they call themselves Christians, and they're doing a whole lot of talking. And a lot of times they're, they're claiming that their opinions are from God, right? And they should be listening. But there are also times when Christians ought to be speaking up and they're remaining silent. You know, I think of the prophet Jonah. He was to go into the city of Nineveh, a very wicked city, and he was to share a message from God to them. And, and, and it was, he was the only one who was told to do this. And he's the only one who knew the message that he was supposed to carry to the, the people of Nineveh. And he didn't want to speak. He wanted to keep his mouth shut when he should have been speaking. So what is there that we need to be saying? So let's look further in, in this passage. Let's look again at verse 6, but let's go through 8 this time. It says, A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? And here's the response to that question. Here's, here's what we are to cry out. It says, all people are like grass. And their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. And so we see in these three verses, three great truths that we need to speak together. Collectively as, as a church, we need to speak to, to, to broken people in our world. The first message is this, that your life is beautiful and it is fragile. Your life is beautiful and it is fragile. Like human life is beautiful, isn't it? it? It is a miracle. It is a gift from God. As a pastor, one of the things that has been so weird for me the last few months is that I haven't been to a hospital to do, to do a hospital visitation. Like you just can't get in. You don't do visitations. And so it's really strange right now that I've not been able to visit people when they've had to go to the hospital. But I'll tell you, one of my favorite things to do when I do a hospital visit is when I'm visiting when someone who's just had a baby right? I get to visit that newborn baby and I'm really mean because I get to hold that baby and then I take a selfie and then I text it to my wife like as a nana nana boo boo because I get to hold that baby, you know, before she does and I get to snuggle and she gets a little bit jealous. And so, but you know, and, and I'm looking forward to, to visiting lots and lots more babies in about seven to nine months, you know, thank you quarantine. So, <laughs> uh, but there's, there's nothing more precious than holding a tiny life in your arms, a beautiful life. And the Bible teaches us in Genesis 1.27 that all human beings have been made in the image of God. In Psalm 139, the Bible teaches that God formed our pre-born bodies. The Bible teaches in Psalm 8 that, that God placed humans over all creation. It says in verse 5 that you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory 
and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. So I mentioned this before, but last summer I was, I was given the opportunity to teach uh, a class for middle schoolers at our a middle school week of camp. And it, it was so fun. The class was really based on questions that the students had. So they, I was just fielding questions the whole time. And they had some great questions. Like, you ought to take some time and just spend some time with middle schoolers and let them ask questions. Like, I know that they're smelly and stuff, but man, they have some, sorry guys, they, they, they have some really great questions, very inquisitive. And so I really enjoyed that, but I was also a little bit saddened because I, I got several questions that, that kind of were like, oh, why do they feel this way? Like one of the questions was, I know God doesn't need me, but why does he even want me? And I had several ask. This, this question, in a roundabout way, maybe they worded it a little bit different, but they asked the question, why would God love me? And I guess it shouldn't surprise me that, that students would be asking these questions because our t- culture continually teaches them that they're just a cosmic accident, that blind evolutionary forces uh, you know, brought this all about, that they're just an accident, that, that life is not precious, that there, there is no value to life, that there's no God, and there's no God that cares for them. This is what they're being taught that we should just follow our natural instincts and that, that we should you know, not respect our own bodies or the bodies of others. And so it saddened me. Um, and again, I, I shouldn't have been surprised, but these were Christian students that were asking this. So it was, it was sad. So why does God place such value and importance on every human life? I mean, how would you answer that question if someone were to come up to you and ask you why their life has value, why they matter? You maybe, maybe you might say, well, it's because, because you're loved by others. Well, what if they feel like no one does love them? What if they don't have people in their lives that, that truly care for them? It's not a sufficient enough answer. Is it because of the contribution that they make to others? Well, what if that person could no longer make contributions to others? What if, what if they were in a nursing home or what if they were in a terminal hospital bed, you know? It's, it's, it's not far enough. It's not a good enough answer. There's a better answer. Why does our life have such value and meaning? Why does it matter? It's because we have been created in the image of God. We, we carry with us the very stamp of our creator. And not only are we image bearers of the almighty God, but he loves us and he values us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. And we've talked about this before. If value is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for something, to spend on something, then we have infinite value to a loving God. So going back to that, holding that little baby. When you hold that baby, you know, you're very careful, right? You want to hold it properly. You want to support the baby's head. You don't just fling the baby around, right? Why why not? Because the mom's going to kill you, right? But also because that life is fragile, you realize very quickly that life is fragile. In this passage that we just read, we are compared to grass and to flowers. Notice that two times in these three verses, there's a phrase that's repeated. The phrase is, the grass withers and the flowers fall. Why is that repeated? Well, Scripture oftentimes repeats things, repeats phrasings or words for emphasis so that we would understand it, to make sure we get it. And we understand this already right? We see it almost every day in our lives. Lives tragically lost by accident or by violence. 
by cancer or by disease. Beautiful people, gone. And way too early in many cases. People we don't know. We see it on the news all the time. Another life taken, another life taken. And then people very near to us as well. Life is beautiful, but it is fragile. Some of you have celebrated these two truths at a funeral recently. You were celebrating a beautiful life lived while also acknowledging that, that that life is gone, that it didn't last, that it is fragile. James, the brother of Jesus, would echo this sentiment that Isaiah makes. He would say in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, what is your life? You're a mist, right? So Isaiah compares us to grass and flowers. Here, we're compared to a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So again, life is beautiful, but it is also fragile. So here's another thing that we need to speak together to the people of our broken world, and that's this, that God holds your life and your death in his hands. God holds your life and his death and your death in his hands. So I want you to notice another phrase in this passage from Isaiah 40. In verse 7, it says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, right? But, but when does the grass wither? When, does the flower, when do the flowers fall? Why? Why do they wither and fall? It says, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The breath of the Lord blows on them. So it's Father's Day. It's, it's time to ad- admit a little sneaky parent move that uh, Sarah and I made. So this spring, the dandelions, they came up in our yard. And before they became those white little snowballs, you know, that you can blow and then they're all over the place. Um, Sarah and I assigned a, a math problem, a math assignment to our youngest daughter, Avery, uh, since, you know, we were all homeschooling because of the pandemic. So each day we would have Avery go out into the front yard and pick yellow dandelions and count them. And then she would come in and she'd put that number on a, on a tally sheet. And then each day she, we had this running total and she would add it up each day. And uh, that was one of her math assignments that she did. She ended up picking over... 2,000 dandelions. <laughs> Our front yard looked pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, Avery. <laughs> when you think of those dandelions, though, once, once they're pollinized, they, again, they become those like white snowball type of looking plants. And you get this picture in this passage of, of, of them being blown on and they go away. Right? They're being blown on and they go away. And this truth that God holds your life and your death in his hands is an, is an important one to understand. Human life is conceived and it is born and it continues and it ends by the breath of God. Remember in Genesis 2 when when scripture goes into a little bit more detail about how God created man. It says in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And so you get this picture of God forming a man but the man is, is just a lifeless corpse until, until God breathes. And then Adam becomes conscious and, and looks into the face of God and he begins breathing God's breath. And God breathes some of his life into us as well. Not only do, though does God breathe and give us life, but he also sustains our life by his breath. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things. How? By his powerful word. By his powerful word. Our life only continues. It is only sustained by the breath of God, by his powerful word. And in some way, 
life also ends by the breath of God. In Psalm 104, we read that all creatures look to you, to you, God, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. And then it says, when you hide your face, they are terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. And so the Bible teaches that that God is in control of our lives from the moment of conception through the moment that we draw our last breath. He is in control. There is power and there is life in his breath, in his word. Have you ever wondered why we have uh, people blowing out candles when it's their birthday? We get the the birthday girl or the birthday boy in front of a, a cake and we have our cameras ready and we have candles on it and we get ready to take their picture as they blow out the candles. Here's a little picture of, of my youngest daughter about to blow out the candles a long time ago and uh, in her little princess outfit. You remember that day, Avery? <laughs> why, why is it that we blow out candles on, on a birthday? Why do we set up a number of candles to represent the number of years? It's because when we blow out those candles, it symbolizes that those years are done. That they're gone. That they're never to be lived again. And it's supposed to be a happy occasion. But that's kind of sad, isn't it? It's sad to think of like, in that picture, she was celebrating her third birthday. And in less than a month, she's going to celebrate her 10th birthday. And it just feels like a matter of months, not years. Now, I don't know how many candles will be represented on your last birthday cake. I don't know how many will be represented on mine. But I do know that God will get the last blow on those candles. He is in control. Your death is as much in God's control as your life is. But this isn't just for individuals. Like God is also in control of the nations as well. They rise and they fall under his control. So I don't want to get too far ahead because we're going to get into some of this next week. But I do want to look at Isaiah 40 verses 14 through 17. It starts by asking questions. It says, Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And these are just rhetorical questions. The answer is nobody, right? God God is infinitely powerful, infinitely knowledgeable. And it says this in verse 15 though. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Verse 17, before him, all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless, as less than nothing. So we see in here that the power and the might and the control of our God, not only over individuals who are like grass or like the flowers, but even nations to God are like, like a drop in a bucket. They're like dust, it says. It's interesting, if you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the lawless one that will come into the world. And, and when the lawless one comes into the world, it talks about how God will overthrow and destroy him by the breath of his mouth. By just his breath. That's how easily God can and will deal with evil in the world. And as you read some of this stuff, it can all seem a little bit scary, can't it? Like that that God is this powerful that just by his breath we are here or we're gone. That nations rise and they fall by his breath. But if you remember, when we started looking at chapter 40, 
the verse, very first verse talks about how this, this message was really meant to be a message of comfort to his people. That, that as a child of God, his power should be a comfort to us. We should take comfort in knowing that our life and that our death is in the hands of God. And until that last day, until he takes our breath away, we keep living for him and serving him. Paul would say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So one more thing we need to speak together to the people of our world, and that's that you can trust God's word completely. You can trust God's word completely. Again, verse 8 says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So people will come and they'll go. They will wither and they will fall. People will let you down. Kings and presidents and rulers will come and go. They're they're simply flawed and frail humans. I've lived through quite a decent amount of presidents throughout my lifetime. They come and they go. Nations will come and go. Even the greatest empires throughout history had their beginning and they had their end. Some of them haven't ended yet, but they don't last forever. So why is it then we would put our trust and our hope in people, in rulers, in nations, in a political party, in empires? Why would we put our faith in things that won't last? What does last? The word of our God endures forever. His word has been here before beginning, before we came into being. John 1 says that the word in the beginning was the word, and it'll be here after we're gone. And when John talked about the word here, he was referring to Jesus, the word made flesh. And then in verse 4, he said, and in him, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And so this is why at Gateway, we stand so firmly on the word of God, because culture will change and power structures will change and people will fail us. And ideas are going to come and they're going to go. People are going to come up with different definitions for what's right and what's wrong. But it is God's word that will endure. And so we stand firmly on his word. And together we proclaim to our, our broken and hurting world that your life is beautiful and it is fragile. That God holds your life and your death in his hands and that you can trust God's word completely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are a God of power and might. That at your breath, at your word, life came into being. Universes, galaxies were made. Life was breathed into us and we were created. At your breath, nations rise and fall. Through your word, our life is sustained. And through your breath, our life can be taken away. You are in control. And there are going to be a lot of people who come and go, nations that come and go, powers that come and go. Again, people will come up with different definitions for right and wrong. God, I pray that we would stand on a firm foundation knowing that your word can be trusted, that your word endures forever, and that we can trust in the living word 
Jesus. So God, I pray that we wouldn't put our hope and our faith and our trust in things that do not endure, in things that don't last, but that our hope and trust and faith would solely be in you. And that we would understand that power is in you, but also compassion and grace. That we don't get what we deserve because you are a compassionate and gracious and merciful God as well. And so God, I pray that that from this day forward, that we would put our place, our trust and our hope in you and in your word. Because you are trustworthy. You endure forever and your word does as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning and, and, and we've been doing that a little bit different. And so I've asked Piper, uh, our children's minister, to, to be in the preschool room uh, so that there's some space. But if you have a decision to make about Jesus, maybe that's a first time trusting in him, trusting in his saving work, and following that up with baptism and, and repentance of your sins, living a new life for him. Uh, we, we would love to help you walk through that decision or maybe you just need some prayer today. And so during this song and a little bit after the service, she's going to be in that room and she'd love to be able to pray with you or, or talk with you uh, if you have any next steps to make. Um, So again, you can do that anytime during the song or after the service, but will you stand and sing with us?